Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, uh, really glad to have you now. So there's a phenomenon. Someone I think probably needs to write, maybe somebody has written about this and I've just missed it. But there is a phenomenon uh, I am more and more aware of. The number of Americans who before they go to sleep at night and right when they wake up in the morning, they want to check to make sure Zelensky lives the president of Ukraine. Now, interestingly enough, it does come at a time, uh, there is some effort um, on parts of the right and parts of the left to smear him, malign him and criticize him. Um, some doing the will of Vladimir Putin. A lot of people as a way to slow the train down as there's a growing number of Americans out there who want military involvement with Ukraine. I mean, it, it, the fact of the matter is, a lot of people, including in this country, oftentimes uh, shows a level of disdain for the United States. I mean, the, the whole of the 1619 Project is to make you feel bad about America so that it can be reformed in some way. Um, but we are actually a good people. We're sometimes not a great people. But more often than not, we're good people. And oftentimes we are a great people. And we want to help. We wish to help. We, we want to help those in need. And we see Russia bullying the Ukrainian people, invading their country, taking their land, killing their citizens, bombing and leveling their cities. And we want to help Ukraine. And for a lot of Americans, if you are 40 years old or older, a great many Americans are, you grew up with the specter of the Cold War. You grew up with the evil empire, with the Soviet Union, and you saw how it collapsed and how the oligarchs uh, took over lots of the means of industry and supplies of the country, and it uh, basically left itself in the hands of Vladimir Putin, dictator for life. Do you know the Roman Caesars? Up until Diocletian, the Roman Caesars were in charge, but they pretended to be first among equals. The, the Roman emperor would sit in the Senate and would entertain the questions of the senators who were all very careful in what they asked. And they pretended to be just first among equals. Caesar himself, the original Caesar, Julius, he would participate. I mean, Julius Caesar was murdered on the Ides of March, headed to the Senate. The Roman emperor, the Caesar, was just the first citizen Diocletian changed it. He gave up the ghost. Diocletian is like, this is nonsense. I'm not the first among equals. I'm the freaking emperor of the Roman Empire, the greatest empire the world has ever seen. I will sit on a throne and you will bow before me. You will burn incense as if I'm a god. Modern trappings of, of aristocracy, of, of, of royalty come from Diocletian. It was Diocletian who brought a crown. 
was Diocletian who dressed himself in purple. It was Diocletian who sat in a throned room to which you must go into, humbling yourself by bowing to submit to the power of the emperor. It was Diocletian who did all of these things. Before that, the Roman emperor just presumed to be first among equals. Same with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is the dictator. Vladimir Putin views himself as a czar. When you listen to Vladimir Putin talk, what Vladimir Putin says is the communists got stuff wrong and treated people badly, in some cases worse than the czars, but going back to historic mother Russia, we have this territory, Ukraine. What is historic mother Russia? The Russian Empire, the czars, Vladimir Putin views himself as a czar, but much like Julius Caesar treats himself as the just the first citizen. He stands for election. You know he's going to win. The deck is rigged. The cards are rigged. He's going to win. And Americans kind of get this. Kind of get this nonsense. Say what you will about Vladimir Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky. You can say he's corrupt. You could say he's a tyrant, but he stands for election and risks losing. Vladimir Putin is never going to lose an election. Zelensky was democratically elected, not Vladimir Putin. And when Zelensky was asked in parliament, he said, don't put pictures of me up. I'm not a dictator. I'll be gone. Save the money. Put up pictures of your kids. I dare you to go into a government building in Russia and not find a picture of Vladimir Putin. People care about Volodymyr Zelensky. And because Americans care, Americans want to get involved. And because Americans want to get involved, we want to do something because not only are we stopping Russians, who we still sometimes slip up and say are Soviets, we know who the bad guy is. And there are a lot of Americans who are afraid that this will lead us into World War III, and they're trying to slow the train down. They're trying to hit brakes on it. So they're trying to malign Zelensky so you care about him a little less. So maybe if you care about him a little less, you'll be a little less eager to help the Ukrainians. The problem they have is that we are a good people and we're always striving to a greater America. And part of being a greater America is we want to be the shining light on the hill and we want to shine the spotlight on injustice and we want to help. And and whether you're from the 1619 Project or the post-Christian right, you sometimes hate that Americans are, at the end of the day, an intrinsically good people who give up the lie that we're not a racist nation. We're not a bigoted nation. We're not a nation of isolationists. We're a nation that wants to help other people. And so your slander, your maligning, your, your contempt, it's all about trying to get Americans to not be the good people they often are. Wallow in the misery with you. And so there is this weird phenomenon of Americans waking up every morning and rushing to their television or their phone just to get the answer to one question. Has Volodymyr Zelensky survived while I slept? Have the Russians toppled that government? It's an interesting phenomenon. I was on a text message chain the other day with a, a group of friends of mine, about a dozen people. And one of the guys on the text message thread said, is it just me or does everybody wake up in the morning and check your phone to see if Zelensky lives? And every single person, yep, 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 all the text messages coming in. He wasn't alone. And I mentioned this on social media and the same thing happened. People on the left, people on the right. Everybody said, yes, we care passionately about the story. And every story has a protagonist. 
We don't have subjective protagonists in stories. We don't have some abstract protagonist when we tell stories. It's always someone. There's always a person. There's always a face. And the face of the Ukrainians standing up to the Russians is the face of their president, Volodymyr Zelensky. And so people care about him because he is who we have given as the protagonist of the story. But there are lots of other protagonists in this story. There are lots of other people involved in the story that we care deeply for. The Ukrainian air defense is becoming one of the chief protagonists of this story, heroes of the story. The Wall Street Journal has a remarkable story on this. Russia invaded Ukraine in February with an arsenal of advanced fighter planes, bombers, and guided missiles. But significant combat losses in more than three weeks of fighting raise questions whether Moscow will ever fully dominate the skies. The Ukrainian military is using a patchwork of Soviet-era air defense batteries dating back to the 1980s and modern shoulder-launched missiles supplied by the U.S. and others in the West to inflict heavy losses on Russian combat planes and helicopters. The U.S. and others are rushing in extra anti-air systems to help Ukraine restock its arsenal to punish Russia further. The effort has led, at least temporarily, to a moderate lull in Russia air operations, Ukraine officials said. Russian officials in recent days have increasingly emphasized their use of cruise missiles and ballistic missiles to attack targets in Ukraine. The scale of Russian air losses is difficult to determine. Ukraine's general staff said Monday it shot down or otherwise destroyed 97 Russian planes since the war started, along with 121 helicopters and 24 aerial drones. Oryx blog, an open source site that tracks military equipment losses, say Russia's lost 15 planes, 34 helicopters, and 13 drones. Among the systems shot down are Russia's advanced Su-34 strike fighters and Ka-52 attack helicopters. Western deliveries of shorter-range modern anti-air systems have been vital to Kyiv's ability to defend itself. It's fascinating to watch this. The Russians are the second largest military on planet Earth behind ours. They're the second most technically advanced military behind ours. They're supposedly the second best trained behind ours. And they can't, it's a month into this campaign, and they can't contain this country. Morale is something. Fighting for your homeland is something. And the Ukrainians are standing up. They're starting to be battered. The Russians are essentially bulldozing Ukrainian cities while the citizens are there killing them all, blowing them up indiscriminately, blowing up apartment buildings, blowing up schools, targeting hospitals, committing war crimes. They think they can get away with it. And now in Russia, a lot of people are realizing as the combat, combat dead start to come home, that there's a problem. New York Times. In January, the head of a group of serving and retired Russian military officers declared that invading Ukraine would be pointless and extremely dangerous. It would kill thousands, he said, making Russians and Ukrainians enemies for life, risk a war with NATO, and threaten the existence of Russia itself. To many Russians, that seemed like a far-fetched scenario since few imagined that an invasion of Ukraine was actually possible. But two months later, as Russia's advance stalls in Ukraine, the prophecies loom large. 
reached by phone this week. The retired general who authored the declaration, Leonid Ivashov, said he stood by it, though he could not speak freely given Russia's wartime censorship. I do not disavow what I said. In Russia, the slow-going and heavy toll of President Vladimir V. Putin's war on Ukraine are setting up questions about his military's planning capability, his confidence in his top spies and loyal defense minister, and the quality of the intelligence that reaches him. It also shows the pitfalls of Mr. Putin's top-down governance, in which officials and military officers have little leeway to make their own decisions and adapt to developments in real time. The failures of Mr. Putin's campaign are apparent in the striking number of senior military commanders believed to have been killed in the fighting. Ukraine says it's killed at least six Russian generals. Russia acknowledges one of their deaths, along with that of the deputy commander of its Black Sea Fleet. American officials say they can't confirm the number of Russian troop deaths, but that Russia's invasion plans appear to have been stymied by bad intelligence. The lack of progress is so apparent that a blame game has begun among some Russian supporters of the war, even as Russian propaganda claims that the slog is a consequence of the military's care to avoid harming civilians. When the dead come home, questions will be raised. But there's something else here that you and I need to think about and probably pay attention to. The Russians are largely in a system and situation here where a lot of people are caught off guard. They looked at the numbers, they looked at the power, they looked at the technology, and they thought the Russians are going to have a cakewalk in Ukraine. But the Russians have only fought Syrians and Chechen rebels who did not have the access to the modern arsenal of the West. And when confronted with the modern arsenal of the West, the Russian forces are buckling under pressure, not able to do what they thought. They're having to go through brute force attacks on cities. Which leads me to China. If the Russians have fought just Syrian Islamists and Chechen Islamists, who exactly have the Chinese fought? The Americans have been fighting now a while in Afghanistan and Iraq. The Americans, you can say, well, they've been fighting Islamists as well. But yes, they've been we've been fighting Islamists armed with Chinese and Russian technology. And we've been paying attention and keeping up to date. It makes you wonder if the second largest military on planet Earth is no match for the Western alliance. Will China be when its soldiers are even more untested than the Russian soldiers, the conscripts who are now being forced to go to Ukraine and are fleeing into the woods. It does make you wonder, if we ever do go to war with China, what's it actually going to be like against battle-hardened American troops who've been fighting around the world for two decades versus Chinese soldiers who the biggest fight they've had is tearing a sign out of a Hong Kong protester's hand. Hello there. How's about we go back to the phones? Uh, the phone number here, 877-973-7425. Christopher, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. Love the show. Been listening for a long time. First time calling in. Thank you. Uh, I would say is that, just to give a quick compliment, is you are the only person, I believe, who could ever have replaced uh, Rush. Oh, gosh. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Now, um, speaking in regards to this Supreme Court nominee, uh, it really, it really sickens me. It really pa uh, pains me because I went back and I saw a clip as well as I listened to what the, the clip that you, you played. 
about her unwillingness and refusal, flat out refusal to answer what a woman is and, and, and how asinine that was. Now, I just wanted to say, I was talking about this to a coworker some months back and he told me that the last, this, this kind of alludes to the last domino to fall of, of sexual deviancy. If I could say that on, on, on air, on your show yep. is how, uh, you know, transsexuals have been, uh, eventually was, was, has been embraced and as normal, uh, you know, couples and those, like people, uh, couples that have three or four, it's, it's been normalized. Thruples, they call them. Yes. Couples, uh, as well as, um, you know, there are stories there in, in other countries, as well as stories here in America of, 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 uh, people marrying their pets. You know, that stuff has been, you know, right. I, I, I don't want to say normalized. With so a, I would say that yeah, go ahead. the last thing, okay, okay. Well, well, the last thing before I, um, before I, I finish is that what he was talking about is what will be eventually normalized, especially from that one senator out in California when he introduced this bill uh, last year, I believe it was, is adults with children, adults marrying children. Oh, listen, uh, there's already an academic movement in that regard. Uh, you've got what the guy in, uh, I forget what university in Virginia, there's so many, I can't remember which one it was. It's an academic uh, who uh, essentially says that uh, we should not be uh, condemning uh, adult child uh, consensual sex because it was normal in the ancient world and therefore we shouldn't uh, do anything about it. it. It's This is where we are. Uh, Archbishop Chaput, I believe it was him who said that evil preaches tolerance until it's dominant, that it seeks to silence good. Uh, Gertrude Himmelfarb, the philosopher, uh, talked about how um, what was was deviant is now normal, and what is normal is considered passe, bad, um, uh, bourgeois. And you, you see this, and it, it derives from uh, the academy, Bored academics come up with novel ways to pervert themselves further and then expect society to go along with it. It is one of the bizarre things that we are dealing with right now. Uh, and frankly, it, it comes as we move further and further into secularism, which is developing its own religious tenets. And those religious tenets are anathema to any sort of decency out there right now. But it's the world we live in. We got to raise up our children the way they're supposed to be raised. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson. The phone number 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phone. Steve, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. I wanted to also say I appreciate what you do on the, on the uh, show there. Uh, you're doing a great job taking over for Rush. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I wanted to uh, kind of get your opinion on this analogy that I've been using uh, for the uh, gender dysphoria or transgender thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if you had a daughter who had anorexia and she thought she was fat, would you affirm her and say you are fat? Or would, you know, try to work with her, try to help her with her delusion that she's having about her weight? Same thing with gender dysphoria dysphoria, I think uh, we shouldn't be affirming a, a uh, dysphoria or a delusion. 
Yeah, you, you know, I mean, it, this is one of those things in the the DSM, the the book of of mental disorders. Gender dysphoria is considered a uh, disorder, and I guess what people want to argue over, although they keep moving the the goalposts on this, is do we what is the cure to this is it therapy is it allowing them to undergo a uh, physical change that then aligns their body with what they believe they are um that that's the the difficult part here but the reality here is that a lot of people now want to claim it to be normal and it's only a matter of time before it's dropped out of under under protest. The DSM, this becomes an issue over time, over the aggressing, aggressive lobbying campaigns from a whole bunch of people who want to uh, change the way we live. I was going to talk about this at the beginning of, of the show, but uh, moved it around. I'll, I'll get to it now here. Think about fact checkers. What is a fact checker for the media? A fact checker is actually a progressive who has lost credibility as an objective reporter and so has moved into the realm of fact checking to try to claim that um, truth is something other than what you realize it to be. Facebook got so many attacks from the left over allowing people to put things on Facebook that may not be true, that Facebook went out and got a bunch of outside groups to participate and say, y'all be the fact checkers and decide whether or not this stuff is true. And some conservative outlets participated, but overwhelmingly it was progressives who participated. And the progressives would uh, call dibs on a host of things and say, oh, this isn't true. And they would be true, but the fact checkers said it wasn't true. Like the Hunter Biden story, that that's that's first and foremost there. Now, a lot of reporters are revising history saying, well, we never really said it was true or not true. We said it was probably being pushed out as Russian disinformation. You know, the Russians could have uh, slipped emails in beyond the other emails, and so you had the real emails, but you also had fake emails, and we just couldn't tell the difference. So we had to call it disinformation. It's what the fact checkers do. One of my personal favorites of late was PolitiFact saying it was not true that um, we we have doubled our oil imports from Russia over the last year. And in their synopsis, they say it is true that we've doubled our Russian oil imports over the past year, but it only amounts to uh, is something like 6% instead of 3%. So it was true that we've doubled our oil imports, but they want to say that because it was so small uh, that we, um, we, we, didn't, we didn't import them. And it makes no sense, but it's what the fact checkers do. The fact checkers want to patrol your language. Now, in the first hour, I, I mentioned that this has a lot to do with postmodernism, that the left believes that uh, language is where we get power from. And if you control the language, you control power. If you control language, you control knowledge. If you control knowledge, you control power. But what do we do with, with the fact checkers out there now? Because the left wants to deploy the fact checkers of America to discredit things that are true. 
Jacob Siegel at Tablet Magazine has writing about this. In the past five years, a cadre of fact checkers has marched through the institutions of journalism and installed itself in the U.S. media as a privatized quasi-governmental regulatory agency. What's wrong with facts, you say? Fueled by a panic over misinformation, the fact-checking industry is shifting the media's primary obligation away from pursuing the truth and toward upholding vague notions of public safety, which it gets to define. In the course of this transformation, journalists are being turned into rent-a-cops whose job is to enforce an official consensus that is treated as a civic good by those who benefit from and pay for its protection. At Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, content flagged as false or misleading gets downgraded in the platform's algorithm so fewer people will see it. Google and Twitter have similar rules to bury posts. In reality, America's new public-private ministry of truth mainly serves the interests of the tech platforms and Democratic Party operatives who underwrite and support the fact-checking enterprise. This, in turn, convinces large numbers of normal Americans that the officially sanctioned news product they receive is a butt-covering con job, an attitude that marks many millions of people as potentially dangerous vectors of misinformation, which justifies more censorship, further ratcheting up the public cynicism toward the press and the institutional powers it now openly serves. On and on it goes, the distrust and repression feeding off each other, the pressure building up until the system breaks down or explodes. Has any story ever been more energetically fact-checked than Hunter Biden's laptop? The news broke just weeks before the 2020 presidential election and was so effectively buried by accusations of disinformation and social media bans that it became synonymous with the power of new truth regulating bureaucracy. Shortly after the first reports of the laptop, the New York Times' Kevin Rose modestly acknowledged the role that misinformation journalists like him had played in pressuring tech companies to take more and faster action to prevent false and misleading information from spreading in order to prevent a repeat of 2016's debacle. And that's where I can jump off from this. Because in 2016, the American media advanced a story. And the story began to be truthful, but rapidly diverged into mythology. It is true. It is factually, honestly true. In 2016, the Russians tried to interfere with the American political process. Now, you got to follow along with me here because we want to keep on the side of truth, not mythology. The Russians in 2016 wanted to divide Americans against each other. The Russians wanted to pit Clinton supporters against Trump supporters. They wanted Americans so inwardly focused that we ignored the Russians and what they were doing abroad. And it worked. It worked fantastically. They didn't spend a lot of money, but they were able to get Americans to divide against each other. Where the mythology comes in is that the Democrats needed an explanation for Hillary Clinton's loss. Because Hillary Clinton was not supposed to lose to Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton was inevitable until she wasn't. Pay no attention to the fact Hillary Clinton lost Erie, Pennsylvania, a blue-collar area of, of northwestern Pennsylvania. And she lost Wisconsin. And she lost Michigan. 
these are areas of the country that Bill Clinton told her she needed to go campaign in. She refused to go. Her campaign decided they knew best, and they decided to ignore those parts of the country. And so they lost. They couldn't admit they screwed up, so they took the truth of Russian interference in the elections and manufactured the mythology that the Russians threw the election to Donald Trump. And he wasn't elected. He was selected by the Russians. That's a total myth. But then from that drew this media hysteria over, oh, we, we got we to gotta fight inf- disinformation and misinformation. People are being led astray. The very same media that thinks boys can become girls think that Hunter Biden's email was mythologically created by Russian disinformation. And they got Twitter to shut down the New York Post's account for daring to peddle what the media claimed was disinformation. And it was not disinformation, it was the truth. But they didn't care. Because increasingly the fact checkers are there to make the Democrats look good. Remember when, when, when they attacked Sarah Palin and the so-called death panels? They said it wasn't true. And actually, it was true. They didn't like the phrase death panel. But actually, under the original framework for Obamacare, uh, the, the Obamacare would have set up a panel that would have decided whether older Americans should get health care based on how old they are. Well, uh, you're too old. You should not be able to get that chemo when someone else wants it. It was true. It was a true story. They did not like the effectiveness of the moniker of the death panel, and so they said it was misinformation. Or remember when they said uh, that uh, when Sarah Palin was saying it was a lie that uh, you'd be you wouldn't be able to keep your doctor. Obama and, and and all the Democrats said no, no, you'll be able to keep your doctor, and they assailed the Republicans led by Sarah Palin at the time for attacking Obama. When no, the legislation makes it clear you'll be able to keep your doctor. And a year later, the fact checkers came out and said, oh, nope, turns out that was the lie of the year, that if you like your doctor, you'll be able to keep your doctor. Turns out that's not true. Well, first they said it was true, and then they reversed themselves. And they never apologized for getting it wrong the first time. The left believes it has a monopoly on truth. And so it deploys fact checkers in newspapers and news outlets across the country to tell you what is truth. And occasionally on non-political stuff, they get it right. But increasingly on political topics, they get it wrong because they use their biases. Again, PolitiFact said it was not true. It was mostly false to say that we increased, we doubled our Russian oil imports last year. They say it was mostly false to say we doubled our oil imports last year. And then admit in the body of their piece that actually that's true. It's just we don't import a lot of oil from Russia. Yes, that's true. But that wasn't what people were saying. People were saying we doubled our imports of Russian oil. And it was true. PolitiFact, in admitting it's true, said it was false. This is where you get with a media that now says Leah Thomas is the second coming of Jackie Robinson because he's a dude who won't remove his male genitalia but decides to swim as a woman. And we should all applaud the bravery of it, the bravery of beating girls in a girl's sport. The fact checkers are just progressives who can't accept that they've destroyed the media's credibility. And so they've moved on now to trying to be the arbiters of truth at a time they even talk about your truth, my truth, her truth, and his truth. And yet somehow they want to control it. Why? Because they want to do everything they can 
to help the Democrats and hurt the Republicans. It's all partisan. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. Well, you know, I've, I've tried to avoid just the raw polling out there, but ah, uh, yikes. This is kind of uh, not good. Uh, the Selzer poll is out. and Selzer is widely regarded as the, the dean of the American Press Corps polling operation. She runs the Des Moines Register poll in Iowa. She is a very good pollster. She does a lot of independent polling, and when Ann Selzer releases a poll, uh, oftentimes you will find that she's more accurate than any other pollster, and everyone else screams that her poll is the outlier when ultimately everything conforms to her polling, and her poll is bad. It's a poll of all Americans, not likely voters or registered voters. It's a poll of all Americans. And Joe Biden's approval is at 34%. It is the lowest of any poll in America right now. Of 1,002 adult Americans, the uh, Grinnell College and Selzer poll has Joe Biden at 34%. That's negative 18 points because his approval, his disapproval is at 52. But now you think that's bad, uh, consider Reuters. Reuters Ipsos also has a poll of 1,005 Americans. And its polling was conducted... um, March 21st, 22nd. Selzer's poll was the 15th through the 20th. Reuters was the 21st and 22nd. And it has uh, 40% approval, 54% disapproval, so negative 14. Rasmussen's is of likely voters. It's 42%, 57% disapprove. Uh, either way you look at it, there's been no bounce for Joe Biden. To the extent there's been a bounce, there's been a dead cat bounce for Joe Biden. Uh, his, his approval went up a little bit and then went right back down. And this is not good for the president of the United States in the run-up to the midterms. No president has ever been able to uh, boost his public opinion polling significantly right before a midterm election. But just get into the data here. The president's job as president, 34% approval, 52 disapprove. COVID-19, 47 approve, 44 disapprove. The economy, this is where the problem is. 31% approve, 57% disapprove, and Ukraine, 37% approve, 48% disapprove, 14% aren't sure. Now, why does all of this matter? Because Americans are going to genuinely go after the president on these sorts of things uh, when the the Democrats in general, when the economy uh, collapses. Now, Interestingly enough, one of the things she asked uh, is public schools are asked to teach a variety of topics in their curriculum. For each of the following subjects, please tell me if you think it's an essential subject for public schools to teach, important but not essential, not that important, or something public schools should not teach. 67% say American history essential. 49% say art music essential. 66% say home economics essential. 81% say reading math in uh, writing, 44% say sex ed, 44% say language other than English, 64% say useful job skills, and 45% say college prep classes. So only 44% of Americans think sex ed is essential. 37% say important but not essential. Uh, it ranks lower than pretty much anything else in the polling in that regard. And yet, this is what the left is advancing right now. Uh, Her whole poll kind of shows you how out of touch 
the Democrats are on a host of issues out there. Uh, but I suspect we're not going to get a whole lot of uh, coverage in the media of this poll. Now, you should know there's some breaking news that has just happened uh, before we get off the air. Madeleine Albright has died. Uh, Madeleine Albright was the Secretary of State uh, for the United States from 1997 to 2001. Uh, she was the first female Secretary of State. Her family immigrated from Czechoslovakia. She had grown up behind the Iron Curtain uh, and was adamant about expanding uh, Western influence into Eastern Europe and helping Eastern Europe recover from uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. She really was uh, instrumental in building American relations in Eastern Europe, uh, even as, as I may have disagreed with some of the things that she did. She was a fundamental American Secretary of State. She was known for wearing uh, brooches that kind of symbolized uh, the things that she uh, believed in. She would wear American eagles uh, when talking abroad to, to other governments, among other things. She would always wear symbolic um, things. Um, she was a Democrat. She was a pro-choice Democrat, uh, but she was also deeply influential in shaping the post-Cold War America. She has died uh, today, according to her family. Um, she was born in 1937, 64th U.S. Secretary of State, first female Secretary of State in U.S. history, uh, replaced uh, Warren Christopher as Bill Clinton Secretary of State, and then herself was replaced by Colin Powell when George Bush came into office. Um Pretty, pretty influential person in American history to pass away this day at 84 years old. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.